This is All Things ANSYS, a podcast from the technical support staff at PADT. Episode 47, a roundtable discussion about what is exciting in the solver for ANSYS 2019 R3, Mechanical and Mechanical APDL, and a look at news and events in the ANSYS world. Hi there, my name's Eric Miller. I'm one of the owners here at PDT, and welcome to our podcast. Greetings from Phoenix, Arizona. It's a lazy Sunday morning, and I am uh, up in my son's old room. He's off to college, so uh, I'm using it's the quietest room in the house. I've spoken from here before. I just sometimes wonder how embarrassed he would be to know that his old, at least in his eyes, his old father is uh, using his former desk to record a podcast. I don't know what he feels about that, but you know, he's gone. It's not his choice anymore. It is August 22nd, so not long before we take that downhill slide to the end of the year. Halloween followed by Thanksgiving and then the holiday break uh, leading up to the New Year's Day celebrations in the start of 2020. And a lot has happened in the past nine months. Uh, It's been PADT's 25th anniversary, and uh, many things have occurred in the world of politics and economics and technology and science. In the ANSYS world, um, I don't think, I think that this year we'll, uh, we'll look back on and see the biggest thing that happened in the ANSYS world is the purchase of LSTC by ANSYS Inc., and we're going to talk a lot about that uh, in the second half during the news portion of this podcast. And we talk a little bit about it in our interview because uh, I couldn't resist discussing it with our tech support staff. And, and speaking of that, uh, let's go ahead and get started on that. Um, you know, we, we have these uh, incredible FEA solver uh, that is inside the uh, ANSYS Mechanical APDL. That's the solver that ANSYS Mechanical uses. Um, and, and lots of new things have been exposed and contact and um, speeding up the solvers themselves and new elements, uh, new capabilities. So we're going to really focus on that uh, during this discussion. Uh, it's uh, because mainly we decided to, to catch up because uh, in a lot of new cool stuff at ANSYS 2019 R3. It's faster and there's just more stuff in there. So let's take a listen and uh, hear what Ted, Joe, and Doug have to add to what's coming in or what is here now in R3 of 2019, ANSYS Mechanical. Welcome, everybody. Today to our discussion on what's new with ANSYS Mechanical Solver elements and contact elements. And we're going to be talking about uh, what just came out in uh, R3 of 2019 um, with the new new uh, uh, naming scheme. It's properly, I guess, ANSYS 2019 R3 uh, rather than Yoda speak. And today I have with me Ted, Joe, and Doug. And so we'll go in that order. Uh, why don't you introduce yourselves and uh, let us know what you do here at PADT. This is Ted Harris. I manage our simulation support group here at PADT. This is Joe Woodward. I'm the lead trainer here at PADT. Uh, This is Doug Otis, and I'm the lead mechanical engineer at PADT. And um, you are calling from Colorado, correct, Doug? Last time I checked. That's what you checked. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Be here all night. That's right. (laughs) Don't forget to tip your waitress. Uh, And then Joe and Ted and I are all in the same building, but we're all calling from our desks to get a little bit better sound quality than sitting around on microphone. Uh, 
So hopefully that'll make it a little bit easier for everybody to hear. So I'm excited. This is kind of the the core, the foundation. It's what 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 Ansys is all about is the um, you know what you what you can do with the solver and what you can do with contacts and of course the element technology within. Um, you know, newer users may not be aware of kind of how the the code works. So maybe a little bit of background is that. You know, when you're in there creating meshes and telling the in, in mechanical telling the model what you want it to be done, under the hood, what it's doing is is assigning element uh, types to it. So you'll hear us call out numbers or names of elements. Those are the equations that is a discretized behavior of the element that that we're going to go ahead and be solving. And of course, we take all those elements, assemble them into a matrix, invert the matrix, solve the unknowns, and come up with answers and, and contact. Everybody should be familiar with, but just in case, contact is an element family that says, oh, I can have two uh, other groups of elements that I sit on top of, and they can be open or they can be closed. They can be touching or not touching. And and how I transfer loads, both perpendicular and parallel to that contact surface, uh, are dependent upon the force that is between those two and all sorts of fancy stuff. Um, that uh, if you if you if you do any kind of assembly modeling, you should get your head around contacts. Uh, we won't do that here today. So let's get started with kind of my typical question when we talk about you know what's new. Um, well, what's what's uh, we'll start with Doug. We'll go in reverse order. Doug, what's your what's your favorite new feature uh, that came out in R three? Oh man! Well, I just installed it, so I'm a little uh, <laughs> I'm a little behind the curve, but. Yes. Um, just one of my features and uh, that you know one of the element types um, that has been kind of introduced or at least rolled out uh, more broadly is the um, like the reinforcing elements and so mm -hmm. uh, if you've ever done a reinforcing simulation you're trying to essentially simulate some embedded object whether it's a plate uh, a sheet uh, you know rebar anything like that and you know back in olden times in order to simulate that, um, you pretty much went blind just splitting your geometry so that you could essentially expose these fake surfaces that you could you know, pave uh, certain features with. And um, on the structural side, we've had the ability to essentially um, uh, reinforce elements without having to go blind and, and cut up your geometry <laughs> like that. And it's also available on the thermal side now. And so rather than you having to, you know, split up your geometry into you know specific ground planes or to expose you know uh copper versus insulated uh, uh materials um it's essentially like a ghost skin that kind of overlays the existing mm -hmm. element that solves for temperature and allows you to essentially add kind of these additional degrees of freedoms that get mapped into the element um so just you know, anytime you don't have to go blind to do a simulation, I'm usually a fan of. <laughs> it's letting us, uh, yeah, when you look at some of these more complicated, uh, I use the term composite, but, you know, there's structures yeah. that have other structures inside them. Right. Um, when you have like a high a aspect mass. ratio of detail yeah. versus global yeah. model, yeah. that's, you yeah. know. So it can be a nightmare. So rebar would be a great example of that. What's another usage of those elements? Um, so like I said, you know, printed circuit boards, um, yeah. you don't ha necessarily have to uh, split up everything on a layer by layer basis. Obviously, right. the, more, the more closely the discretization gets to the actual, the better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but if you, you know, the, the nice thing about thermal response in a PCB is you usually don't need that 
high level of detail mm-hmm. of where exactly a, a trace ends and where the, mm-hmm. the insulation begins. Um, so, yeah, so yeah, and, and I, I mean on the on the structure on the structural side of things, like you said, rebar, um, mm-hmm. any type of you know, on you know, uh, reinforced concrete where you have right. those uh, mesh uh, that are laid. Obviously, I don't do a lot of. Uh, yeah, making reinforced concrete yeah. because I'm not <laughs> using the right words, but um, yeah. So, so those kinds of things where you basically have some something embedded in something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ap- apologies to civil engineers out there. <laughs> yeah. um, but I mean, this has always been the kind of the bugaboo with, with modeling those complicated printed circuit boards is you, you just can't get that detail in there. You don't want to get that detail in there. So this is, this is big and, and it doesn't really change the global, results that much either it's, it's pretty accurate yeah good what about you uh joe what's your fave i think uh mine have to be the the uh well not really the addition of of the new uh coupled field elements they've been in there but in uh they're allowing now uh in workbench to access those so ah. instead of doing just a a single sequential thermal to structural model, uh, you can access the couple of field models and and do your thermal and structural at the same time. So that uh, if your uh, thermal deflections would open gaps and things like that, that then change your your heat flow paths, that can all be done within Workbench now. Yeah, so if people aren't familiar with that, if you've only ever used Workbench, when you want to do these multi-physics solves, you've always had to solve one physics, take the loads, and apply them to the next physics, um, which is which is what we call load coupling, and then iterate till it converges. But the solver has always had the ability to solve for different degrees of freedom at the same time. So say structural and thermal at the same time so those are now being exposed so you can have you don't have to write uh, snippets or i guess the most important thing is now we can post-process them too so yeah you uh, don't right. there, there, there was an act extension that kind of allowed right. you to do that yeah. and i think the funny thing here is you know you could do that in a pdl mm-hmm. you could also do it in aim that's right <laughs> <And his> mechanical <laughs> was was the, was the middleman that, that didn't have this functionality so it's kind of nice to have that there <laughs> Does it create? Uh, I haven't looked at it yet. Does it create a separate tree? So, or do you just when you add a result object, it lets you add temperature and stress? I think you can add both temperature and stress to it. I haven't played with it yet. Yeah, it's just, it's just more buttons, right? Yeah, right. yeah it's more it options there. Allows you to put the yeah. the structural and thermal loads on it. Nice. That solves faster. Not that these solves are that that slow right now, but uh, that's that's a cool thing. Uh, what degrees of freedom? It's doing thermal and stress. Does it do other ones as well? Uh, I think right now it's just thermal and stress, stress which is ninety percent. Mm-hmm. Right, right. You can you can still do uh, like electromagnetics. Mm-hmm. Your uh, uh, the low frequency thermal electric. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Thermal electric mm-hmm. uh, with command snippets. The voltage. So and, I assume, uh, right, right. So I assume those will be in, you know, next iteration around. They'll add those in. What was the other one that I liked that I used to like to use? Oh, um, the uh, we use it for fluids migrating through cracks. Um, it's a thermal analogy, right? So there's another degree of freedom for that in those elements. Talking about porosity. Porosity. Yes. Thank you. 
that's the proper term. Um, so that'll be a nice one to add as well. That, comes but that was all part of the, that massive geomechanical um, yes. model inclusion. Uh, was that 192 or, or R1? It was, it was a couple of revs yeah. back, but it was, a couple was revs a, back. A, yeah, a big one. It was the, it was the one thing that another code that shall not be named that um, a lot of Scandinavians like um, that that it would do that people can do with ANSYS. So we had all these customers that owned a seat of that other code to do the porosity, and and now that we have it, um, it's kind of nice. Um, more more civil uh, civil engineering yeah, terms civil that were mangled, well, and use it using it in uh, uh, fluids to get in between uh, printed circuit board chips, like in between layers on printed circuit boards use it for that as well um, that was the, what our customers were were screaming about was wow uh, liquid kind of winking its way in um the ted what's your favorite okay so the one i'm going to talk about is one that actually isn't new at this release it was new at the last release but it's been okay. enhanced and that is the ability to have the code split up contact regions to take advantage of multiple cores during the solution. So, you know, going back many, many years, ANSYS has been able to solve in parallel. Mm -hmm. um, probably the modern era, if we want to call it that, maybe started in version 11 with mm -hmm. continual improvements ever since. But one thing that uh, hadn't been implemented was the ability to take the contact regions and have them be split up to take advantage of multiple cores. Ah, yeah. So if you had a model that had a lot of contact on it, you did not see as much of a speed up. In fact, sometimes we would end up running SMP instead of distributed um, because the, the contact was basically all be, being solved on a single core. So starting at R2, I believe, mm -hmm. the code automatically starts splitting up contact to take advantage of multiple cores. And, and that's been enhanced in R3 in that it'll do an, an initial splitting, but then it'll take a look at it again and mm -hmm. produce some sub pairs ah. to help uh, more evenly distribute the load among the cores being used for the solution. So uh, that adds an additional benefit to uh, distributed solves when you have lots of contact involved. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So big models with lots of contact where you can split it up. In fact, I, um, I will, will, uh, a lot of this stuff will cover it in a webinar that you're doing next week. Is that correct, Ted? Yes. Next yeah. Wednesday. We could next Wednesday. Okay. So um, this will, um, there's some images that are in the PowerPoint presentation, and one of them is pretty cool. It's got a tire rolling across something, uh, I guess a road. And it right. shows so how you it's guys split were up. you guys were talking about reinforcing elements. Mm -hmm. and yeah, that's another tire. Tire yeah. is another good application. If you're old enough, to, like me, to remember seven around two wrapped by one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I remember yeah. those. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think my children even knew through thought about how a tire is made on their car. <laughs> Just, yeah, that's pretty funny. Um, okay, cool. So those are those are kind of different different areas. Um, I'll just kind of mention 
I'm, I'm a huge fan of um, rotor dynamics. I've, I've always wanted ANSYS to be a better rotor dynamics tool. Um, and we keep adding some cool things into it. So uh, at this release, the 178 element now allows nonlinear radio, radial gap elements. And so this is uh, a pretty sophisticated uh, modeling that's used in rotor dynamics to get this uh, nonlinear behavior of bearings uh, handled properly. And uh, it's uh, pretty cool. So if you're, and I always say this every time I bring rotor dynamics, but if you're using a third-party code or an academic code to do your rotor dynamics, you should, you know, every time I add something, take a look and see whether we can do everything. Um, th this takes care of a nonlinear radial gap between cylinders while something's spinning around. In including friction. Including friction, yeah. So um, yeah, it's, it's pretty impressive. If people aren't aware, there's a lot of capability built into ANSYS Mechanical for rotor dynamics. For example, mm -hmm. you can generate Campbell diagrams, you know, mm -hmm. forward and backward traveling waves, and you know look for resonant points and things like that with uh, what we call engine excitations. All that capability is there and built in. Yes, yeah, so there's still a lot of people using those older codes or, or academic codes or third-party codes, and uh, definitely take a look and see uh, what we can do there. I think that was the only thing that was added for rotor dynamics. Um, what 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 else uh, in the contact realm? I'm I'm kind of excited. I haven't, of course, had a chance to play with it, but it looks like they've they've done some better force convergence checking. Um, in the yeah, game. it's it's kind of a an interesting like little fix of applying a localized control, which may actually induce some additional iterations mm -hmm. uh, for a contact pair. But it's one of those, if you can clean up your answer early on, it makes convergence faster overall or, uh, or, or cleans up the, the convergence behavior kind of long-term. And so there's um, an additional kind of real constant that can be applied mm -hmm. on a contact-by-contact -contact basis. So you can apply a localized control because, you know, overall – Convergence is measured on like a, a global scale, right? right. Um, and so, if you can, you know, apply a, the, a localized check, especially where there's a lot of, uh, you know, small contact patch, um, mm -hmm. that can help help uh, drive that convergence a little bit uh, better. So you you realize that it's kind of oscillating at that that area. You can go in and specify these uh, local local convergence checking, kind of smooth it yeah. all out, and. Uh, yep. Yeah, that's that could I, I'm, that could be a pretty handy thing. Yeah. I mean, plus that quasi the quasi static switch, mm -hmm. um, uh -huh. so that you can kind of do semi implicit. I'm sorry, semi explicit. Or, I forget the terminology, mm -hmm. but basically go to an explicit time integration scheme for kind of high deformation effects. <laughs> yeah, where it switches back and forth to be yeah. able to uh, get past the non the. Uh, Convergence difficulties and then switch back to an implicit for the longer term. Right, right. Yeah, so a lot more control um, that comes. It's pretty cool stuff. Um, what what else? Uh, anybody want to talk Look, about anything? Looks special? like they looks like in uh, R three they've added the ability to switch the shell normals without actually having to remesh. That's more yeah. of a MAPDL thing if you. Uh, if you're we were, going into checking shell normals on its own. We were talking about that before we got on air. Um, I think, Ted, you had some insight into that, having to do with third-party post-processors. I, was that I can't take credit for that. That was Doug. 
That was Doug. You guys all sound the same. <laughs> you just sign in checks. <laughs> we all sound the same. Yeah, yeah. It's more from a composite standpoint of using third-party tools that um, rather than us blaming other tools for not speaking our language, um, you know, basically the element-by-element basis accepts you know, different orientations. And so this might not sound really big, but when you're trying to apply pressures and making sure that the pressure is acting on the top versus the bottom of a you know, spatially 2D object, it's pretty important. So, um, so yeah, it's, you know, rather than hunting through and finding that one element and then trying to redefine the IJK node orders to get the right hand rule pointing in the correct direction, you just apply a different coordinate system, flip it, and you're continuing on your way. Okay. That is kind of handy. Yeah. Very, very cool. Um, let me think if there's uh, there, there's been a quite a bit of enhancements on the solver side, speeding stuff up. And they, they give a lot of examples of that. Anything big in there that you guys think's worth sharing? Well, I was going to say one thing that, that um, came out, I think, in R1. Mm-hmm. Um, was the uh, stresses on demand uh, so that uh, it, it's not really a speed up, but it uh, reduces the result file size mm-hmm. quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it just calculates the stresses when it goes to make the plot. Right. So the plot, the plots take just a little bit longer, but mm-hmm. um, with workbench as you switch between plots, it's not recalculating that all the time. Uh, the way mechanical APDL did, yeah. uh, anyway. So a little bit longer up front is not a, not too big a deal for smaller file sizes. You get get away from those gigantic, ginormous. Um, the, what we've been dealing with from really day one with the ANSYS solver is uh, because it's because it's been around for so long. Is you know we would solve over on a remote machine, often in a different state bring the results back and you didn't really have a lot of horsepower to look at the answers on your desktop. So we would calculate during the solve and store for every integration point. And so every, if you've got a, a, what a eight noted element, every corner of that element had every stress value um, calculated and, and stored in the files. So the files got huge. Now I think we just store the strain information. I think that's right. And um, then calculate the stresses on the fly and other derived values on the fly. So getting away from these gigantic multi-gigabyte uh, result files, which is kind of nice. Um, what about... I think the biggest improvement that I saw on the solver side. Well, I mean, I think that a lot of the solver improvements mm-hmm. kind of go along with what they now support because ah. typically what happens, like you, you know, a new feature like smart fracture is introduced, but it only works on, you know, shared memory. <laughs> and so basically figuring out ways to, to write these new features such that they you know, they can be spread across multiple cores. And so, I mean, that's, you know, pretty much what you should expect every rev is, you know, mm-hmm. not only does it solve faster, which you know, there's data to, to support that, but also that you're not limited in shared versus distributed for the newer features. Right. 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 We like, I'm looking at the uh, improvements to the sparse direct solver and, you know, it, you're, you're, it's still speeding up now at R3. It, it used to peak out at, uh, 
at 512 cores, it's still getting a little bit faster at uh, 1024. Um, so yeah. um, that's yeah, that's, you know, that's it, big it for really a structural model. <laughs> wasn't that long ago that we were saying, you know, six mm -hmm. or eight cores is probably the sweet spot for a structural yeah. simulation, and mm -hmm. you know that is no longer true. Mm -hmm. um, definitely seeing scaling up into the hundreds of cores, which used to be the realm of CFD only, right. Right. and that's no longer true. I mean, you, still not seeing a you know linear speed up, but there's definitely yeah. a, a benefit of solving on those additional cores for a lot of large models. And when we say large models, we're talking about you know in the millions of degrees of freedom mm -hmm. range, typically. All right. Yeah. Well, and and I've noticed. If you look at that same graph, it's actually curving upward. <laughs> so it's it's not. I, just, I've never seen that before. I wonder if that's a that's a round. That's off. a that's a <laughs> spline yeah, fit. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm wondering because like, most well, of the I'm charts most of the charts are looking like that. <laughs> Some sort of a hardware thing. They usually kind of plateau. Yeah. So I, I think the takeaway is that they're there. I think what Doug said is really important is. What they're doing is different feet. You know, the main stuff has always been parallelized. Now they're going through and adding other calculations that need to be done. So that if you've got something other than just a linear stress model with no contact or anything special in it, um, those scale well now. Like I'm looking at the uh, LPT model, which I think is actually a model that we gave them many, 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 many years ago, um, and. Um, it's yeah, it's speeding up. It runs on 256 cores now, and it's seven times over seven, seven and a half times faster on 256 cores. So that's pretty significant. That's PCG. The other thing to look at on the on those charts is the memory requirements at those high core counts also have gone down. Down. And so that was kind of a yeah. You know, in order to use all these cores, you have to have a lot of additional resources to handle the intercore communications. And so it's nice to see that, you know, if you have those available, you don't have to you know, throw in a, a daughter board on your, uh, <laughs> your uh, yes. workstation in order to actually use those for solving. Yeah, that's that's really an important thing. Um, yeah, so pretty exciting stuff on that. And so definitely users should take a look if they haven't looked at Parallel in a while and see if they can justify getting more cores or using uh, Nimbix or Ansys uh, Cloud to solve on. So if you're you know, on that on that topic, if mm -hmm. customers go to the Ansys customer portal and you have to have a login, but if you're a current Ansys customer, you can mm -hmm. certainly establish a login. There is a hardware document that you can find um, that is updated quite frequently. And that is a really good source of information for, you know, typical hardware that decisions that people are making for buying a new system. And, you know, it has some recommendations. There are three different physics listed. So mechanical fluids and electronics. Cool. Um, so that's a good source. That is really good to know. I definitely need to check that out if you're looking to get new hardware. Um, let's see if there's anything else that uh, – you guys have anything else you want to share before we wrap it well, up? I think we covered the big stuff. one more that I wanted to mention, and that is a new capability to uh, be able to calculate viscoelastic heating. So oh, uh, this yeah. is part of that coupled structural thermal analysis. It uses the, the 220X elements in ANSYS, which mm -hmm. are the latest and greatest. Mm -hmm. uh, coupled physics elements. So you now have the ability to calculate temperature change due to viscoelastic deformation. 
So for people that are simulating elastomers or certain biological materials, there might be some you know, nice benefit there. So it heats up as you deform it and it'll actually right. calculate that heat generation and, and do a thermal analysis as part of that, yeah? It, right, it's coupled. Yeah. Coupled, yeah. I, that is cool. I did not see that one. That's a good one. How about you, uh, Joe and, and Doug? You guys got anything that we didn't cover? I, nothing, nothing else I can think of at the moment. I've got an obscure one, which is the piezoelectric improvements. Um, so they, they basically added um, more more elements are supported. Um do, to do PPA's electric analysis. Um, they can do damped modal analysis now and uh, energy calculations in a modal analysis. So if you remember your piezoelectrics, if you if you put a voltage on it, it, it creates a strain, it deforms, it expands, uh, or contracts depending on which way the voltage is going. And if you put physical load on it, if you squish it or if you pull on it, it generates voltage. Um, and that includes um, you know a certain amount of uh, uh, electric energy as well as elastic energy that gets calculated. So that's all actually in there now. So I think that's beyond, that's that's really beyond my understanding of the physics. Um, but if you do use piezo, take a look at it. Um, the temperature dependent uh, piezoelectric materials are, uh, are there as well now. And uh, there's a current based formulation for harmonic and transient analysis. So modeling, um, again, this is another one of those things where people were often using a specialty code to model um, transducers or actuators that are piezoelectric and we're getting more and more capability to do those native enhances. Anything else guys? Still yeah, there. We're, we're, oh. we're trying to limit our, <laughs> our scope here to just the, yeah. the topic is covered in the next webinar. So oh, I, I know we'll be having yeah. other podcasts. We'll, we'll, we'll be talking about other uh, new topics. Okay, yeah. cool. There's a lot of new topics. Um, the... Um, the, yeah, the with the three releases, three or more releases a year, I think it's going to be three. Um, they come fast and furious, um, and they do get a little confused as to which release it is. But it's good stuff. Um, if you don't see something that you want to know about, reach out to us, um, and we'll be talking with you guys soon about some other stuff. I think uh, we've got some other discussions scheduled, so let us know. And before I cut off. Um, I, I love springing stuff on you un, 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 unprepared, but uh, one of the things we'll be talking about uh, on the rest of the podcast, I'll be talking about the rest of the podcast, is the LS Dyna merger acquisition. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts on that? Pumped. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, there are many emails where I, I I usually don't try not to pay attention to the business side of things, and that one was one where I was like, oh, I've like I, I may have start, started clapping like that guy on an airplane when they land <laughs> clapping. So, so I, I'm excited about that one. How about my uh, my thought was it's about time. <laughs> yeah, I think everybody was kind of hoping that this would happen and that somebody else wouldn't outbid Ansys, and it really is the perfect fit. Uh, Ted, what's your what's your thought? Well, my my only thought was just kind of a little bit the other way not, not that it was bad or anything but just that you know the press release kind of made it sound like you know ansys users can now start using ls dyna which is not true because ls dyna has been sold through ansys mm -hmm. for many many years mm -hmm. so it's only going to take that relationship and make it much much stronger 
So, you know, yeah, it's, it's that, that's a really good point. The the interface, let's I mean, as an example, the interface between uh, mechanical and LS Dyna has been there is, is it, for for a couple releases now. Um, and and it hasn't moved as quickly as we'd like to see it move. And it was an it was an act extension section for yeah. that. Before that, right? Uh, it was really powerful, and we still was. It still made building LS Dyna models much easier. But um, this will this will speed it up. For many many years, if you're running mechanical APDL, when mm-hmm. you bring up the launcher, one of the drop downs is Ansys LS Dyna. So, yep, exactly. You know, it's been yeah. built in for quite a while. Yeah, I'm. I'm very you know, as, a, as a partner with Ansys. So. As a partner, yeah, very close partner, which is why I'm glad that uh, they decided to to sell to Ansys, and uh, I think it's going to be fantastic. And what a great group of software developers as well that we're going to add to the Solver team. Um, they they do some pretty amazing things over there, and uh, I'm I'm. At, uh, when it's all said and done, uh, maybe the first official release where they've worked together, I'll get Jim on. So many of you who listen know Jim Peters, who's um, one of our lead simulation uh, consulting people here. And and he uh, has been an LS Dyna user for more years than I think we'd like to admit. Um, <laughs> I think he started using it at the same time I did back when it was still an open source code at the National Labs. And um, you know, he's just beside himself with joy because he does most of our consulting with LS Dyna. Um, and um, to, to not have to deal with another organization when we, when we need support or something is going to be fantastic. So very excited about that. Yep. It's great. All righty, and and think of what implicit explicit is going to is going to be like now that we we can turn on hopefully the LS Dyna solver at some point as the explicit solver. So that will be sweet. All right, guys, uh, we'll definitely talk about that more in the future. Um, in fact, I need to go back and see if one of our predictions predicted the acquisition. I think at one point one of us said we were going to acquire LS Dyna. So I have to look back at our predictions and see if that was set or not. And if not, I'll edit it in so we sound. <laughs> <laughs> but everybody wanted to know what would the big what would what would the big acquisition be? Um, and everybody said, "Well, I hope it's Alice Dyna." But now they probably won't sell. You know, it's a family-owned business. But I'm, I'm so happy to see it happen. All right, we'll talk to you guys soon. Uh, you guys can get back to work. And uh, those that uh, want to learn more and see some visuals about what we talked about, please do sign up for the webinar, which is going to be the Wednesday, 25th. the twenty-fifth. Yes. Um, oh, I I made the mistake of putting up my twenty twenty calendar, so I got to make sure I look at the right one. Yes, the twenty-fifth. And uh, definitely send your questions and uh, comments to us, and uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks. So we we often get focused on the pre- and post-processing in simulation because that's where we as users spend most of our time. But we do need to remember that we are pre- and post-processing to send simulation to the solver and post-processing what the solver produces. If we don't keep up with what is going on in the solver world, we don't stay up to date with what we can do with these amazing tools, uh, what we can use them for, and how we can use them more efficiently or more accurately. So it's always good to look back and see what's new and different. And as always, I always recommend you read the release notes when you have time. We also have a webinar on Wednesday, September 25th. That's that's in uh, three days um, at 11 o'clock Phoenix, California time. 
Um, and as always, if you don't have time to listen to it live, when you don't, you can ask questions, which is an advantage of live. But uh, if you don't have time to listen live, then you can always listen to the recording. As with all of our webinars, you can go to www.brighttalk.com and search for PADT or even ANSYS and find most of our stuff, old and new, including this one where you can register. And that's how you get on the list to be able to listen to it, both live and recorded. Or if you don't want to go to the Bright Talk website, you can get there um, by going to our events page on PADTinc.com and seeing that. So let's take a little bit of a break for a commercial. Enough blah, blah, blah about simulation and ANSYS. Let's change the subject and talk about PADT's additive manufacturing services. You have a lot of choices of where to go to get your 3D printing done. But there is no other additive manufacturing service provider like PADT. That's because we have experience, we understand engineering, and we have know-how in the additive manufacturing space. Since we purchased our first sterile lithography machine in 1994, PDT has been dedicated to partnering with our customers to make the parts they need. With our team of experts, you are not just uploading a file that we toss into a build, then sand it, and maybe throw it into a box and ship it to you. We take the time to understand what you need and what your parts are for, and then we match the right process and material to those needs. And since each additive manufacturing technology has its own strengths and weaknesses, we have five different technologies in-house. Stereolithography, selective laser sintering, fused deposition modeling, multi-material and multicolor polyjet printing, metal laser powder bed fusion, metal sintering, and on-demand manufacturing with Carbon's digital light synthesis process. We have three or more different machines for each polymer process and run multiple materials on every single one including our two metal machines. Because you listen to this podcast, you know that PDT's engineers are true experts in a wide breadth of simulation approaches. The same is true for our 3D printing services. Just as we are able to apply every physics to simulate what our customers need, we can apply every major additive technology in the same way and the same level of expertise, knowing the tools and understanding how our customers use what we produce. So next time you need some parts 3D printed of any kind, please come to the experts at PADT. We don't just know simulation inside and out. We are just as good at additive manufacturing. Visit www.padtinc.com, email us at info at padtinc.com, or as always, give us a call at 480-813-4884. We'd love to help you with your 3D printing needs. All right, welcome back. Now, I don't think that the uh, the fact that ANSYS hit an all-time high, its stock hit an all-time high this past week, has anything to do with the LS Dyna acquisition. I, I don't think that Wall Street's intelligent enough to understand the importance of that acquisition. Maybe I'm wrong, uh, but uh, it does show a lot of interest in the stock. So $220.82 per share. It hit on Thursday. Uh, it's dropped down a little bit to $216.57 on Friday. The market's closed, of course, for the weekend. So definitely a good run. Uh, um, one of the things I did notice when looking to see how much the LSTC acquisition may have uh, been received out there is that uh, many of the non-technical uh, um, articles written about the acquisition refer to LSTC as an auto tech company. Um, because as we'll talk about in a second, a lot of what people use uh, LSDyna for 
is to do crash simulation. So they see this as yet another play by ANSYS, uh, and I think rightfully so, to get into and penetrate deeper into the automotive market, um, something that, that we've been growing and growing and growing with autonomous vehicles and with uh, fluid flow and structural and now the electrification of all these vehicles with our EMAC products. So this is just another, another tool in the suite that the automotive companies will be using from ANSYS. Um, I think you also, just before the, the announcement of the LSTC acquisition, they announced a partnership with Autodesk. Autodesk has a, a visualization tool, a kind of a rendering tool for uh, simulating driving around in vehicles. They use it a lot with autonomous vehicle training. Well, our Optus tool is now uh, officially a partnership with uh, uh, Autodesk on, to use their visualization tool with the ANSYS simulation tool, uh, Optus, to simulate driving around and, and what things look like with various kinds of sensors. So uh, more and more in the automotive space. But back to the stock. Uh, on September 20th, that's when the market closed. That was Friday. Uh, ANSYS year-to-date since January 1 is up 57.35%. And the S&P 500, which is the benchmark I like to use, is up only 22 only. It's pretty good. 22.23%. Uh, I usually don't look at other stocks because there really isn't another publicly traded simulation-only uh, company out there. But let's look at who everybody else compares ANSYS to. Autodesk is up 25 0.8%. So it's in line with what the S&P 500 has done. Deso Systems, again, which is another large uh, PLM uh, tool, but they, they also sell the most competitive products to the ANSYS suite. Um, they're up 35.75%, so not nearly as good as ANSYS. Uh, PTC is actually down uh, year to date, 13%. So not even keeping up with the S&P 500 as they pivot towards Internet of Things and other areas. Um, and then Siemens, which really is not even a PLM company, right? They they make everything, um, you know, from from large uh, steam engines to to home automation systems. But um, they're up 2.6%. Uh, so uh, for the year, so so again, well below the market. Um, Another tool that I was hoping to look at is MathWorks because they're a large mathematical kind of simulation company, but they're privately held, uh, as was LSTC until they were just acquired. So, but I did notice one thing when I was looking at MathWorks that I didn't realize is that ANSYS is past MathWorks in revenue. So MathWorks is a little over a billion dollars a year, and ANSYS, of course, is north of $1.2 billion. So um, that's, that's interesting to see that we used to think of MathWorks as quite a bit larger we have to change our paradigm as ANSYS continues to grow and, and adds these tools. So let's talk officially, although I've been weaving it into everything in this podcast about the LSTC purchase. So some background. LSTC stands for Livermore Software Technology Corporation. It's based in Livermore, California. Um, and they primarily sell and support and use the tool called LSDyna. And LSDyna focuses on um, uh, and is the market leader uh, in, in, in the space for highly nonlinear transient dynamic FEA. Um, so anything where metal especially is being heavily deformed, it can be at lots of different materials. They model earth, they model concrete, they model all sorts of things. So when your material is heavily deformed and over a short duration, so it's transient uh, as well, uh, pretty quick, um, we use LSDynA to solve those things. And, and as Ted pointed out, we've been using LSDynA for a very long time. Uh, ANSYS has been a reseller of LSDynA. PADT has been a reseller of LSDynA through ANSYS uh, since we started. 
started. Um, so, you know, it's over 20 years now. And, and you've always been able to get your ANSYS model into LS Dyna. Uh, what, what, what we've seen more recently, I can't remember when it actually came out, but it's been over five years, is that ANSYS Mechanical can write the file directly. We can set up our model in ANSYS Mechanical now and save it as LS Dyna. We expect all of that to improve. Uh, some background there. Um, LSTC was formed in 1988. Um, when the tool went from government code to commercial. The government version, which was called Dyna3D, was started in 1976 at uh, Lawrence Livermore National Labs by John O. Halquist. Um, and, and just like ANSYS, it was started for a nuclear program, a project to model something new and different in the nuclear world that, uh, that got abandoned. Uh, but it was technically very difficult, so they needed new tools, and that new tool became Dyna3D. Uh, they needed a 3D transient simulation tool. And that's where uh, John Halquist, Dr. John Halquist, uh, started writing the code. And like I said, he left in 88 to form LSTC. And uh, uh, over the years, it went from being used uh, to, to kind of do that kind of metal deformation in the weapons world to metal forming, bird strike, airbag inflation. And I think what it's best known for is car crashes. Uh, most of the major automotive manufacturers um, outside of maybe France use uh, LS Dyna to model their car crashes. And it's one of the reasons why uh, cars are so safe now, um, the, why we have these crunch zones and all these uh, much safer vehicles is, is because of the use of LS Dyna rather than running things into walls and iterating. They could iterate very quickly in a virtual world, uh, modeling the entire vehicle and the wall it hits uh, or another vehicle. So uh, very cool tool. We really enjoy using it. I first used it, I think, in 1987. I used Dyna 3D. Uh, I, I got the tape from um, some guy named Halquist that uh, somebody actually had to send it in the mail, the request. Uh, and I got a tape back in the mail uh, from Lawrence Livermore to uh, run this code. And it was, I loaded it on the Vax and did bird strike with it back then. Soon, soon thereafter, LS Dyna came out and we started using LS Dyna for bird strike. Um, and, and it's just been a, a fantastic tool. What, why we love it is because of the generalized contact uh, that it has, as well as the large deformation, how it handles it so well. Um, as a teaser, what what does LS Dyna do? We're gonna we're gonna try and when, when the let me back up a little bit. When the acquisition goes uh, through and uh, the integration begins, as usual, Ansys will probably operate them somewhat separately for a while, and then over time integrate various portions until it's part of the development team. That can take a long time. But when everything's kind of official and we know what the path forward is, we'll try and get some folks from ANSYS on to talk about where we're going with it and what's there and, and talk in more depth about LS Dyna as a tool. Um, but if, you, if you're not familiar with it, besides doing this large deformation structural stuff, it has several fluid solvers. So we can do FSI. Uh, it does acoustics, craft propagation. It has full multi, well, I shouldn't say full, but it's got multi-physics coupling. So it supports many physics, including thermal radiation transport and some EMAGs along with the fluids. So you can do these kind of transient FSI and, and other multi-physics applications. Um, it also supports some different methods besides the standard one. 
It does uh, smooth particle hydrodynamics, SPH. It does DEM, discrete element modeling, which is what we use for particles. And it does element-free Galerkin, which is kind of a meshless simulation that's becoming more and more popular over time for certain kinds of problems. So these are new capabilities that uh, we've always had through ANSYS Elastina, which is really just Elastina sold by ANSYS. Now it's going to be more tightly integrated, we hope, in the future. Um, and we will share with you as we learn and can share what that integration is going to look like. We're very excited about it. Um, I can't say more about it or you guys are going to unsubscribe. So uh, we're giddy. Uh, you heard t- uh, uh, Doug's response that he was like that idiot that claps when the airplane lands. He's so happy about it. The, Doug's not that kind of person uh, to get excited about that sort of thing. It's pretty cool. Um, the, the, it's, it's a big deal. Um, and if you're in the structural world, you know that. If you're not, this is why we keep talking about it. And we will continue to talk about it. But let's move on to PADT news. Um, what's the biggest news at PADT? We're really excited about the LSTC purchase. Um, we're working towards finishing up Q3 and, and charging into Q4. Really nothing big to report on the ANS, on the PADT news side. Uh, the only other news in the ANSYS world is the partnership with uh, Autodesk on integrating our simulation tools for autonomous driving, visualization, um, and, and that, is, that is a big deal. That would have been something we would have talked about a lot more, but uh, this is bigger. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, ANSYS blog, I picked three articles. I, the three I picked this uh, this podcast are pretty good. I, I'm, I'm actually really excited about all three of them um, because they, they look at different aspects of the ANSYS world and, and some are uh, deal with things that I've been, you know, kind of wanting to see better simulation of over time. Um, or personally, I just like. The first one is the one that I personally just like. I, ever since I was a little kid, I wanted a flying car. Uh, the older I get and the more I sit in traffic, the more I want a flying car. And so there's a really good article called Self-Flying Planes Are Here, Autonomous Aircraft Are the Future. Of course, ANSYS plays a big role in the design of the sensors, the control software, and simulating that autonomous system. Um, and uh, it talks about how people do that and how they're using simulation to drive and make this idea of a self-flying plane a reality. Um but more importantly, um, I hope it will lead to flying cars. So that's my desire, why I like that article so much. Another one, um, since we started PADT, we've been running into people trying to do what we call lab on a chip, where you take a little bit of blood or a little bit of other liquid, and on an actual small device, you run a bunch of tests on it. And the reason why that hasn't really taken off over the years as much as everybody had hoped is that making the little chip that holds and moves the fluids around, it's called a fluidic chip, fluidic device, um, is really microfluidic. I should say the proper term is microfluidic uh, at that scale. It's really hard to do. Uh, Surface finish drives everything. Well, this company uh, has developed a methodology to mass produce uh, almost the same speed as injection molding using some very sophisticated manufacturing methods. And then they derive those methods to make these microfluidic chips using ANSYS tools, the electromagnetic tools, because their process uses uh, magnetic fields, as well as fluid flow, as you would imagine. So it's a really good article. It's called New Microfluidic Chip Fabrication Techniques Simplifies Mass Production and Improves Reliability. So do check that out if you're at all involved in microfluidics, or even if you're just involved in manufacturing. It's pretty cool. The last one... Um, 
we talked a little bit about uh, discrete element modeling in LS Dyna. Kind of the leading tool in the ANSYS world for that is called Rocky DEM. And our friends and channel partner down in South America, ESSS, did a really good article about how they couple Rocky DEM and ANSYS Fluent to model, model particles flowing in fluid. Um, and it's called new, uh, it's, uh, using CFD DEM coupling to model non-spherical particle and fluid flow. So these are non-spherical particles, of course, much more difficult. So take a look at that. Um, and uh, if you if you model particle flow in fluids at all. Uh, we didn't add anything to the PAT blog because we're still super busy with new things. Um, upcoming events, we've got the webinar we spoke about earlier about mechanical solver elements and contact enhancements at ANSYS 2019 R3 Mechanical and Mechanical APDL. That's going to be Wednesday. As I said, go to Bright Talk or to PADTinc.com's events page to sign up for that on Wednesday. Other events, uh, we'll be holding our big Colorado, annual Colorado event um, the, on the same day on Wednesday, 920. From 1 to 7 at Blind Faith Brewing in beautiful downtown Littleton. It's actually just a little bit east of downtown, no, west, west of downtown, um, right up against the river, which is pretty cool. Um, the Platte River, it's a really neat location if you've never been. This is our third year holding it there. We expect about 200 folks to show up, and we will be having some discussions about ANSYS simulation, and a few people from ANSYS Inc. will be there as well as our ANSYS team in the Rocky Mountain region will be there. There for your uh, to meet with you and talk with you. Um, the following day, we'll be hosting a design for digital light synthesis. That's the carbon technology that we use to do uh, relatively high volume 3D printing. And that's going to be down the street. So check out our website for that. Then in October, which is coming sooner than I'd like to even imagine, it starts up AZ Bio Week here in Arizona, and we will be at the AZ Bio Awards. Uh, we actually made the actual awards. That's on October 2nd, and we'll have a booth there. So if you do come to that, stop by and say hi. And then on the uh, 24th is the Arizona Technology Council's Governor's Celebration of Innovation, and that's our annual awards banquet, and we're excited to also make the awards for that, and uh, we'll be have a booth as well. So do come to that. It's a great event. It's pretty much everybody in tech in Arizona shows up for that. So please do come on out and uh, we'll finish up the month at the Tucson Southern Arizona Tech Plus Business Expo on October 30th, which is our which is the big tech council event down in Tucson to finish up the year there. And uh, I hope to see lots of people and do mention that you listen to the podcast when you stop by. That's it. I want to thank you. Don't forget to subscribe to www.padtinc.com slash opt in. Spread the word out there. Let people know about the podcast. Our, our listenership keeps going up slowly, but I like to see it go up faster. Um, I, I hope uh, if you find it a good resource, let other people know. That's the only way to get it out there because we're too cheap to pay for advertising. So don't hesitate to reach out. Let us know what you think. And uh, we hope to um, have great discussions in the near future with you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for the All Things Answers podcast, episode 47. As a reminder, this podcast is not affiliated in any way with Ansys Inc., and the opinions expressed are those of the people on the show only, and not of their current or former employers. For more information, visit www.padtinc.com blog, and please share your thoughts and questions through an email to podcast at padtinc.com. See you next time. Thank <laughs> you.